Welcome to the first edition of the California Association of Realtors podcast, Unlocking California Politics. My name is Sanjay Wagley, Senior Vice President for Governmental Affairs for the California Association of Realtors. The first episode is focused on the California recall election. The election will be held on September 14th. The ballot will have basically two parts. The first, a question on whether or not Governor Newsom should be recalled. And second, a list of candidates for whom voters can vote for to replace him should he actually be recalled. Today with us to discuss the upcoming election and all of the politics around the recall, we have Democratic consultant Josh Pulliam and Republican political consultant Mike Madrid. Before we begin our discussion, I think it is obvious why this topic is of such interest to our members. Realtors tend to be politically involved, reflecting their involvement in the communities in which they work. Their work makes them acutely aware of issues directly connected to housing, such as affordability and supply issues, home insurance, fair housing and taxes, but also those such as educational quality and other quality of life issues. Our membership reflecting the diversity of California's communities reflect its political diversity as well, with members who support Gavin Newsom, who are undecided and who actually support the recall. So Mike and Josh, First question is, what is fueling the recall now? And I'll start with you, Mike. Sure. I mean, look, it's a great question. It's the question of the day. Um, the main issue is I think that there's a real gap between what is happening with the governance of the state and the way what we call the mood of the electorate is moving. I think a lot of people feel that the handling of the pandemic specifically hasn't been as competent as uh, they would probably have liked. Some of that, of course, is unfair criticism. Um, you know, this is a once in a century event. So it's kind of hard to hold somebody to a certain standard, hold the governor to a certain standard when it's really unprecedented, or at mm -hmm. least again, haven't seen in a century. Um, but I, that was really what catalyzed this, this entire, uh, you know, recall fever. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to have recalls on the ground, as we say, there's always almost always a petition circulating for every governor at any moment in time trying to gather signatures to recall somebody, any gadfly can kind of pull one for 200 bucks and start the circulation mm -hmm. process. Oftentimes though, they will kind of catch fire if the right things line up. And that usually depends on something like a once in a century pandemic or the lights going out, for example, with Gray Davis. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, well, look, we'll get into this a little bit too, but Governor Newsom's approval ratings still remain relatively high. Um, the foundation, the fundamentals are still pretty good. But the, the competence in terms of running the government is where that gap exists, where there's a lack of, I think, confidence in the ability to handle some of these larger situations. That's what catalyzed the recall. That's what allowed it to gather signatures that needed. And that's why we're going to be looking at this question in September. Thanks, Mike. Josh? Uh, as Mike mentioned, uh, recalls happen often, but most often they're not actually qualified and get enough signatures. This is either the fifth or the sixth attempt to recall Gavin Newsom in his very short tenure in office. And what was circulated in terms of the grounds for this recall, are, and I'm quoting as follows. Gavin Newsom has implemented laws which are detrimental to the citizens of the state and our way of life. Uh, laws endorsed favor foreign nationals in our country illegally uh, over over that of our own citizens. And then they kind of go along and bring up immigration laws again uh, later. So uh, as Mike mentioned, you know, what's really gathered a lot of steam was the pandemic. Uh, Gavin Newsom obviously inherited a lot of systematic and decades in the making 
problems, uh, whether it be wildfires, uh, you know, energy problems, the drought, and of course, um, a real crisis and homelessness and a housing shortage. So I think all of these combined, uh, and then you add the pandemic on top of it, uh, plus Trump's loss, I think really made it so that there was a small group of Californians who were really galvanized and looking for the next crusade uh, and found this and were sort of fortunate that the stars aligned where they were able to con enough voters to sign their name on it, taking advantage of, uh, as Mike mentioned, you know, some of these gaps and some of these other issues. But in terms of what fueled it at the beginning, uh, what was behind it and the funders, it was very similar to 2013, uh, where Daryl Issa funded it. Uh, this case, it was a few more folks than that, but it was really trying to take advantage of the system to weaponize where these Republicans can't win statewide office in California. So they're using the recall uh, process uh, in an attempt to do so. How is this recall? You both mentioned the um, previous recall. How does this differ from that recall effort, the uh, the one that swept Arnold Schwarzenegger to victory last time, um, Mike? I look. I think it's a completely different scenario. I think it's entirely different. The first is it's an entirely different state demographically. Um, the rise of Democratic registrations has exploded, while the decline of Republicans has kind of fallen off of a cliff. We have to remember this was almost 20 years ago. We're looking at basically two redistrictings that will happen essentially in that same time frame. Um, and California has become an extremely blue state, probably one of the standard bearers of blue states mm -hmm. in the country. Um, and you also have a different issues matrix. It's not just demographic, although that's a very big part of it. Um, you have to remember when Gray Davis was recalled, we were not only experiencing rolling blackouts, he had just signed into, into law one of the most unpopular car tax increases right. in history. I remember that. Um, and, you, you know, he also, uh, his own personal style, I think, left him, I think, vulnerable politically to a number of the prevailing political winds that were circulating at the time. So I think it's it, there's very few comparisons. We're in this era right now where there's a lot of people who were doing the recall race and 20 years ago trying to draw these comparisons and kind of relive the glory days. I, it's very, very hard for me to see any correlations between the two of them. Um, I do think that there is something to what Josh is saying, which is the hyperpartisan environment which is also very different, mm -hmm. um, has allowed for a smaller cadre of Republicans who will sign basically anything, any document that is you know, anti-democratic to uh, qualify anything on the ballot, makes, puts us in an environment where qualifying recalls is gonna become more common in the future, not less. Interesting. And I think that that's probably one of the things that did also help propel this to put this on the ballot. But I think in terms of politically, this couldn't be a more different scenario. These are just two very different election contests. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, different in so many ways. I agree with Mike, uh, even from the fact that this previous recall in 2003 was on the ballot less than a year after Gray Davis was reelected. He was reelected in early November of 2022, and the recall ballot was uh, October 7th, 2003. So it was in the beginning stage of, albeit his second term, whereas here, uh, if Governor Newsom is recalled, uh, then he would basically be recalled about a year away from uh, the next general election, which I do find, of course, ironic that here the Republican Party that touts itself as the uh, taxpayer advocate uh, 
party is spending so much money and taxpayer dollars for recall when, you know, if you want to take somebody out of office, go the Democratic route, try to take him out of the office uh, like any other part of our democracy uh, when he's up for reelection, which is only a year from now. Um, you know, the other, I think, differences, too, as Mike pointed out, are the demographic changes. And I, I pulled up a couple of numbers just to share with folks. So uh, at the time, back in 2003, there were the, the most recent uh, Secretary of State report right before the recall, 43% of the state, 43.6% of the state was Democrat, vote, registered uh, Democrat, 6.7 million Democrats, 35.3% Republican, uh, 5.4 million Republicans, and about 16% uh, declined to state. And then a few handful of sort of third party, that's about 2.4 million. So right now, 46.4%, so about a 3% uptick in Democrats, but that translates to nearly 4 million more Democrats. There's well over 10 million registered Democrats. On Republicans, not only have they nosedived in terms of the percentages, they don't make up 35% of the electorate, now they make up about 24%, but 5.3 million registered uh, Republicans, rather, sorry. 5.3 million registered Republicans, right? So that's more than a million fewer registered Republicans uh, 20 years later, you know, 17 years later than there were uh, back in 2003. That's remarkable, especially considering the fact that at the time there were 15 to 16 million registered uh, voters in California in 2003, and now there's uh, over 22 million registered voters in California. So here we have six to seven million more registered voters, and yet the Republican Party uh, is dropped in terms of the sheer quantity. And of course, there's been a big uptick in the, the independent decline to state, um, especially in the last five or eight years. You know, f many, many Californians want to see more of a middle centrist, you know, folks that can work together and get things done and sort of turned off by both parties. But a lot of those folks uh, in the Republican Party have been turned off by Trump, turned off by all this type of extremism. Uh, and uh, that's why their numbers are dwindling, where we have more folks who are independent uh, and nonpartisan in California than we do uh, Republican. So, you know, that is a vast difference. And in, in just looking at the amount of Democratic voters we have who have voted in three of the last four elections. So you take the last two primaries and the last two generals. Um, we have 4.5 million Democrats have voted in those elections. Uh, and we look at two of two Democratic voters who voted two out of the last two elections, primary and general, 4.8 million. So, it's really for Gavin Newsom just going to be a matter of turnout and GOTV and just getting these Democrats who are a lot more emboldened to vote and are participating a lot more than they were back in 2003. Because, frankly, you know, as Mike pointed out, Gray Davis didn't give folks a lot to be excited about. He had a tough reelection in 2002. Um, uh, Gavin Newsom won easily. He trounced uh, John Cox. Um, is so much so in terms of Gray Davis's challenge that uh, they engaged in the Republican primary to right. try to pick their candidate uh, because they were fearful that if they had Reardon, right. you know, more moderate Republican, that Gray Davis very well may lose. So, you know, I think there's many, many different dynamics uh, between the two. And, and also, as Mike said, the only common ground here is that it's basically using this sort of weaponization of the recall. Um, for the party that can't win this general election uh, in terms of putting a Republican in the general, uh, in, the, in the governor's seat. It's real, real quick, to put, to put some of this in perspective, some of the numbers that Josh was saying is, 
you've essentially seen the Democratic Party increase since 2003 um, by about four and a half million voters. There are only five and a half million Republicans in the entire state now, 20 years later. Right. So Democrats have added almost as many voters, just added right. new voters, raw yeah. voters, as there are in the entirety of the Republican Party in 20 years. And so when, we, when we're both talking about demographic changes, it's not just racial and ethnic composition that we're talking about, although that's been significant. The partisan construct of the state has been completely revamped. It's just a completely different state. You both mentioned the hyperpartisanship and <clears throat> the weaponizing of the recall process. One thing I think which is interesting compared to the last recall is in that case, though, you did have running in Schwarzenegger, a sort of almost a bipartisan Republican, somebody who appealed to everyone. One of the things which I think is curious about this is do you think the hopes of the person, the people who backed uh, the initiative was that a candidate would emerge or just that Newsom would be unpopular enough? Because this seems to be one of the bigger differences is that you don't have a candidate who might have that cross-party appeal. Um, what do you think the backers were thinking in terms of a candidate? Or did they just think Newsom will be so unpopular, we don't have to worry about this? I, I would assume that they weren't thinking anything and hadn't far, uh, thought that far ahead, again, since this was the fifth or sixth time they tried. Uh, I would love Mike's thoughts, though, on, on you know what potential candidate that they thought might emerge. Maybe thought, they thought Caitlyn Jenner would uh, get a lot of fire. Uh, I kind of doubt that. But, you know, what do, what do you think? Well, look, I think that there was no forethought. I think what Josh said is this was kind of lightning in a bottle. Okay. There was no planning that was like, hey, this is the candidate that we should back or this is something that we ought to be looking towards. Um, we are in an era of what we call negative partisanship. Negative partisanship is basically the concept that we are against more than what we are for. And so just being against Gavin Newsom was really the only driving fuel that was getting us get thing forward. So there was no there was no thought beyond that. And that leaves them in a position where they're at right now, which is there's four or five different candidates that are sort of spreading uh, the 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 uh, Republican base as small as it is uh, thin. And there's about as many undecided voters who have no idea who these candidates are as the top vote getter in most of the public opinion polling at this point in time. So it puts them in a rather precarious position, and it does. I think it's a sign that before you endeavor into these things, it might be wise to at least have some sort of a plan, or at least some sort of a concept. Uh, you know, when when the uh, recall against uh, Gray Davis started, and again, that recall started too without much much forethought. Like we said, there's always mm -hmm. these recall efforts going. Some of them just happen to catch fire, and when they do, they will find the resources or the money to get these things qualified. Same thing happened with Gray Davis in 2003. The difference was you had a candidate like Schwarzenegger in the wings. Right. And say what you will about his politics. This was a studied, well-versed individual who had mm -hmm. committed many years of his life to making sure that he was positioned to run for governor because he would have uh, in the normally scheduled election if there was not a recall. He's already backed a, a successful statewide right. ballot measure, for example. So this is a entirely different scenario. This was really, I think, about just a lot of the angst and stern of the Republican base, as Josh was pointing out earlier, hmm. where they were just so pissed and so angry and so full of fire and vinegar that they just wanted to take out their anger somewhere and it manifests itself in a recall. Okay, so so again, both of you have mentioned the issue of the hyperpartisanship and uh, the motivations behind that. So do you think in large part that might be why these movements aren't able to capture what is kind of a disgruntlement in this pandemic era that they're not able to capture that more um, because they're seen as as being hyperpartisan rather than 
some sort of more you know uh, yeah it, it's not just way. it's not just hyper partisanship although that's true the idea is it's negative partisanship which means i'm more concerned about why i'm not a democrat if i'm a republican or i'm not a republican if i'm a democrat than i am about what my own party stands for okay i'm more interested and motivated as a voter by being opposed to a party as opposed to saying oh i believe lock stock and barrel everything that my party believes so in that type of an environment, it makes it impossible to seek compromise. And when you have a media bubble, as Josh was pointing out, that feeds that, that has monetized that, you end up with, you know, America in this, you know, in this year at this time, right. which is there's no compromise. There's very few, if any, undecideds. And it's also why I think the math becomes very difficult for challengers in a recall election to get that many Democrats that will be required to actually vote against Gavin Newsom in a recall. Is even though I may not like Gavin Newsom, I may not support everything that he's done as governor. I may think he's even a bad governor, but he's not as bad as the Trump-like Republicans that will take that will win and take over if he is recalled. That type of sentiment is what will ultimately bring a majority, the vast majority of Democrats, back into the fold. Right. And I think that that goes back to my earlier question about not having a candidate, <laughs> which, which makes sense because it's more the yeah, opposition. It, it's not about what we stand for. It's what we stand against. Interesting. And not having a candidate in Schwarzenegger where you know, I don't know that there was necessarily a grand plan uh, to draft Schwarzenegger. Obviously, he was waiting in the wings. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Daryl Issa funded a lot of that. He himself thought I think he would be mm -hmm. governor, but uh, he frankly was punished by voters for funding it. Uh, whereas Schwarzenegger came out and you know ran this sort of blow up the boxes, uh, mm -hmm. similar in a sense to what some of the things that Trump said and what people sort of thought maybe Trump was going to be the sort of anti-politician. Uh, and that coupled with a lot of folks being really upset with Gray Davis uh, created a perfect storm. You know, I actually don't mm -hmm. think that uh, Schwarzenegger could have won a regular election uh, and a true vetting process where you have six, nine months, a year and a half. Um, he just had such a bad record. Um, but uh, I think even, even he would have been, you know, had a really tough time uh, winning against another challenger for an open seat. You know, obviously he did well uh, in his reelection not too long after that. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, a lot of he was kind of all over the place and a lot of on a lot of the issues and, you know, maybe did some good work on the environment, but uh, really came out and went after unions and created a whole special election. We tried to take away union power and really galvanized folks and really showed him uh, showed voters that he really actually had this other kind of crazy agenda, too. Uh, whereas in the shortened timeline of the recall um, and because of a celebrity. Uh, he was able to just sort of be seen as somebody who was uh, sort of an anti-politician at a time when they saw Gray Davis as a career politician who wasn't looking out for them. So what is uh, Governor Newsom doing right in order to try to keep, uh, to get people to vote no on the recall? Uh, Mike? Well, the main thing that he's doing right is he's trying to make this a partisan race because of the dynamics that we're talking about. There is no stronger indicator about how people are going to vote than based off of your party registration. And even in an era of growing no, no party preference or decline to state affiliation, independence, as we call them, that are increasing, we still know demographically that about by about two to one, people are still voting, independents are voting for Democrats in California. So making this a partisan grab, and you're hearing a lot of that 
in the, in the media and from Gavin Newsom and his campaign and from Democrats up and down the state. This is all about Trump. It's all about Republicans. It's all about the right wingers. It's all about extremism. That's going to be an uh, you're going to hear that until the cows come home for from now through September, because that's the best hope that Gavin Newsom has. He's done that quite effectively. I think he's probably done it to the detriment of arguing his own case, especially early on. And now we're in the last you know few weeks of this thing. That's probably all you're going to hear, unfortunately. But the reality is that that type of tactic is, is most likely to work. OK. Yeah, it certainly yeah. seems like it's it's working. And with the Democratic Party and others, uh, especially coming on the heels of four years of Donald Trump in California and where he's literally attacking California and Californians and uh, wasn't helping us with wildfires and other issues. Meanwhile, you know, sending money to places like Texas and Florida uh, and, you know, all the other very terrible things in terms of policy and rhetoric, uh, you know, it's really sort of perfect timing for Gavin Newsom and Democrats to say, are you kidding? You know, this call it what it is, which is uh, this Republican Trump, you know, supporters power grab. Um, I think the other aspect that he's actually doing really well, because a lot of that is coming from the, the Democratic Party and from surrogates and and certainly um, he's pushing that. But at the same time, I think he's doing a really good job of going up and down the state and managing all of these crises that are happening in the state. You know, he's dealing with the pandemic. We've got wildfires, you know, as we mentioned, you know, homelessness and uh, getting our schools back open and, and having kids be able to have in-class learning. Um, he's been extremely busy and I think really focused on that uh, really for the last year uh, through this signature gathering process. Uh, and even through the sort of qualification of the signature process, you know, he didn't immediately go into sort of campaign mode, which I think was really smart because then he doesn't look like a candidate. He looks like the adult in the room who's really looking out for what's best for all Californians. And, you know, whether you sort of agree or disagree with some of the uh, policy issues, you know, they have been very innovative and very forward thinking and, you know, trying to find new solutions and new energy to some of these old systematic problems. Um, so in that sense, I think he's also doing a really good job of trying to make the focus. Uh, we've got really big problems and I'm equipped to run the state and, you know, I'm just getting started here. Uh, meanwhile, you know, he to a lesser extent, and I'm sure it's going to kick into fifth gear there uh, in the last month, um, even stronger on the no on the recall for the Republican side. But, you know, meanwhile, in the Democratic Party and surrogates are really branding this, uh, which they've been able to do pretty easily because it is what it is. Okay, that that's that that's actually a very good good point because that's something I had been thinking about is why so much of the focus, not as much on the record, it felt like in terms of the advertising and more on the fact that it's a on the Republican focus. So it really is to motivate that Democratic base uh, to come out, which is very large in California. Yeah, with so. the numbers of Democrats, if you're able to keep your base, he's going to be just fine. I think it does beg a broader question, though, right, which is if you're not running on your record, there's probably a reason why. I mean, look, there there is concern out there. Let's just be honest about that. We have to acknowledge this has not been a great first ten first term as governor of California. Uh, most of the problems that were promised to be addressed, housing, especially for your members, mm -hmm. um, has gotten worse. Homelessness is worse. Crime is on the rise. Our public school system is not doing well at all. There's a whole host of problems that have not even not been ameliorated. They've not even begun to be addressed. 
Um, and I think that probably more than anything is where the governor really needed to focus early on as this recall was becoming real, was to start focusing and start acknowledging some of that and saying, look, we're going through some tough times. We're dealing with a once in a century mm -hmm. pandemic. It's put a pause on the agenda, but here's what I'm doing. Let's stay the course. Let's make sure that this works. Um, we didn't hear any of that. We didn't hear any of that. What we heard immediately was this retrenchment back to the partisanship, which again, tactically in all likelihood will probably work but it still makes his problem as a governor more difficult uh, the day after the election because he hasn't begun to address some of those problems. And I think that dynamic could be too why we've seen in the last few weeks some of the polling tighten up. Um, you know, when you look at these polls and they're polling registered voters, um, he runs away with it and overwhelmingly Californians oppose the recall. But um, when pollsters are getting folks on the phone or online, they're screening to filter through uh, who are the voter, registered voters who say they are going to vote? And there is much more passion and vitriol and pitchforkness from the Republicans. Mm -hmm. So they say they're basically opting into the polls, saying that they're going to be voting uh, because they're very motivated to do so. Whereas Democrats still, a lot of them don't exactly know when the election is. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've heard about the recall. When is it? It's in November, you know, et cetera. And that's why I think, you know, to Mike's point in the next month, as we really ramping up to that next level, um, making those closing arguments, but really less of a persuasion and more of a GOTV and making sure people know your ballot has arrived, get it in today. Um, okay. Uh, make sure that you're voting by September 14th. Uh, I think you're really going to see that. And, and I think what's going to happen is we're also then going to see a similar trend line in the polls where, you know, the gap widens and it gets back to where what we saw in sort of early polling where, you know, I'm not saying he's going to run away with it, but he should be um, do you know pretty well in terms of defeating the recall. Uh, I do think that, you know, some of these polls that came out, the timing was good in a sense because it reminded everybody that we really need to, do need to buckle down and take this seriously and you know not just sort of dismiss this as something that's you know a bunch of sort of crazies have put on the ballot but that you know it is a possibility that uh, the governor could be recalled so therefore let's ramp up our phone banking and make sure the democrats know you know how to turn you know how, that they're looking for their ballot they're turning in quickly they're going to the early voting places um, things like that, uh, which gives them, because of the vote by mail, a month to GOTV. You know, back in 2003, 70% of the vote was in person. Uh, if that was the case here, I think that it would be a much closer race and be much more challenging. You know, like we saw in the November uh, presidential election. Uh, so you saw in these states where traditionally, uh, especially in California, Republicans were the one who were voting by mail. Uh, and voting early, and Democrats were the ones that are voting on poll right. on the they polling place day, mm -hmm. right? And so you'd see a, a Republican may be ahead, you know, in the first vote, but then all night votes would trickle in as late ballots arrive and as the polling place votes are counted, and then the Republican would, uh, I'm sorry, the Democrat would prevail. Um, whereas here, you know, the Democrats do have that opportunity to really GOTV folks for the next uh, for the next month. Um, you know, the other aspect that you know, in terms of what Mike was saying, is that. Um, yeah, you know, there are definitely Democrats out there that just your sort of average Democrats there that say, well, you know, I may not love Gavin Newsom, but I'm definitely going to vote against the recall because we can't have, you know, this sort of going back to what kind of a Trump person uh, running the state. And, you know, he maybe hasn't done as many things as uh, he would like. I think he would even admit that. But it's 
pretty hard to uh, make even more of the sort of progress and the rubber meeting the road uh, when you're dealing with a pandemic for 16 or 18 months, you know, of his first years in office. Um, and so I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see that kind of argument uh, made in the final stretch of, you know, he, here, look at the things we've done. In a sense, he's been a victim of his own success also in the very early stage of the pandemic where he was really aggressive at closing things down. California, we didn't have what you saw in places like New York uh, and others where you saw you know, the tragedy of so many folks dying from COVID. Um, but you look now and what's happening in Texas, what's happening in Florida, and, you know, four teachers dying in one school district in Florida within 24 hours. Uh, the governor of Dallas uh, fighting against local school districts who are trying to require mask mandates for children who can't even be vaccinated because they're under 12. You know, when you're looking around the country, um, again, maybe Gavin Newsom hasn't been able to do as much as he would like, but he's doing a night and day difference in terms of handling the pandemic compared to those types of states. And I think voters are really going to realize that they just need to be sort of reminded about it uh, so that they're motivated to come out and vote for the election. Currently, there's a big funding discrepancy between the Newsom campaign and any of the individual candidates um, who are running, uh, I guess you could say, against him. Um, Let's say that as money maybe starts to flow to one candidate who might look stronger in the polls, are there any vulnerabilities you think that that candidate could, could take advantage of to try to broaden that pool, to try to go beyond maybe, I think you both identified sort of an angry pool or a pool that just doesn't like him, but that's not large enough to actually recall him, but that could maybe start to resonate beyond that. And I'll start with you, Mike. Well, look, I think the Republicans actually did something tactically very smart in the past couple of weeks, which was they refused to endorse a candidate. Uh, the reason why they didn't endorse a candidate or back one is because that would have immediately allowed for a target to be made and for Gavin Newsom to create a, a contrasting position against one person. Um, as long as it remains a referendum on Gavin Newsom, the recall potential remains real because people are not happy with the way that the state is going. The question is, can he fend that off? Can he point out to the uh, kind of a Republican boogeyman and say Trump enough times that it's going to stick in the minds of Democratic voters and bring them home? Their bet is yes, that they can. And as long as they have the resources to do that, which they do, and the time to do that, which it's getting thin, but they still do have the time to do it, then again, his chances still look pretty good. So my strong suspicion is that that's where they're heading. It would take an extraordinary amount of money uh, and I'm also a big believer that money doesn't necessarily make a big difference in these executive races. The narrative is largely set. Okay. It doesn't matter how many commercials I watch to change my mind about these things. We're in a time where mobilization is much more important than persuasion. You're not going to change people's minds. The question is, is your, is your base voter going to show up and actually okay. vote? So that's where resources really matter. It's why Gavin Newsom has corralled and saved resources as much as he has, they're going to spend this late, they're going to spend it overwhelming, and they're going to make a big push to make sure that the Republic, the, I'm sorry, the Democratic base turns out. And if it does, they're banking that that's going to be enough to, to keep him governor for the next uh, year before the, the next election. Okay. Josh? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just looking back at 2003, uh, the world was very different. Most people were watching television on four channels. So you could run big TV ads and, and capture large swaths of the electorate in minimal places. Whereas now uh, there's so many more people streaming, 
uh, unplugged, you know, on social media, getting their information from so many different places um, that even if they did come up with a whole bunch of money, I think it would be the Republicans, I mean, or any specific candidate, uh, I think it would be really tough because at the end of the day, what 2003 turned out to be was not only a referendum of Gray Davis, but a choice between Gray Davis and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger for a lot of people. Uh, Schwarzenegger also was able to, I think, get people, turn people out to vote who were not sort of traditional, uh, you know, high propensity voters, right. uh, like what we saw with Trump, frankly. And I think that um, a number of congressional seats that were lost in 2020 were because Trump has this ability to bring out voters who don't normally vote. Uh, they're not usually really involved in their society or their school district or volunteering. You know, they're not like realtors who are active members of their community. Now, obviously, there's a lot of Trump supporters uh, uh, who also are active in their community. I'm just saying that he had this ability to bring out folks who were not normal voters. Uh, and Schwarzenegger was able to do that. And I don't see anybody on this recall ballot uh, that's really able to do that. I think that's also in part why, you know, the Republican party poobahs were basically trying to encourage as many different types of Republicans to come out and vote as possible because they didn't have any one good candidate. So they thought, well, maybe if we have a thousand of them and they each bring out, you know, their friends and family, that'll be enough. Uh, but they're going to be a few million short, you know, with that kind of a strategy at the end of the day. Right. So it, it sounds like very much so that none of the candidates themselves, none of those candidates who are running are that type of candidate that you describe that might have that appeal to to bring out maybe the hidden voter or or who resonate beyond the, the base, the Republican base. Yeah, I mean, certainly not anybody who's on the ballot. Correct, that's uh, right. I mean, and John uh, um, Cox, I mean, this guy is a loser who lost 10 or 11 elections in Illinois, uh, came out here, you know, lost a few elections here and then became the Republican Party candidate against Newsom and got trounced, so, you know, uh, maybe he's got a little bit of a base, but it's a, certainly a very low high watermark, you know, as Mike mentioned before. And, you know, the person who I thought maybe could have caught steam and turned it into maybe more of a real race, Kevin Faulkner, mm -hmm. you know, if he could make an argument of like, hey, I'm a mayor. I was able to work with Democrats and Republicans to manage right. a city. And, you know, we need to have common sense solutions, that type of thing. But as we see so often with Republican candidates, it's a race to see who can go farthest to the right. Uh, and that is going to be a losing path in California for many years to come. Right. It's interesting you mentioned Faulkner because I, I thought the same thing, but I, I think he doesn't excite the base. Um, what do you think about that, Mike? I don't think Somebody he excites like the base at all. I think the fascinating thing about Kevin Faulkner is he spent so many years of his tenure as mayor of San Diego, largely successfully, um, not being a Trump supporter. But then once the opportunity came to run for governor, especially with the recall election, suddenly he became you know, a Trump supporter because he, he or his advisors felt they understood where the base was at. What's unfortunate about this story, and I think we're gonna see how, how this plays out, is Kevin Falconer may not even be the top Republican vote getter in this recall election. If he doesn't, then I think his, camp, his career is essentially over. Interesting. And the great irony is, uh, you know, there is a roadmap for Republicans running in blue states to be quite successful. Larry Hogan in Maryland, right. Baker in Massachusetts, Vermont even has a Republican governor. They all have one thing in common. They're all vocally anti-Trump. So even though the polling and the demographic base looks the same in state to state, showing that leadership quality, that independent streak that, that the mayor, Kevin Falconer, showed 
during his tenure in San Diego and then capitulating entirely on it to run for governor, I think will end up being one of the big mistakes of his career if he is not the top Republican vote getter. I'm not sure how he overcomes that. Yeah, and uh, Cox was the same way. You know, he had criticized Trump repeatedly and then uh, didn't vote for him. Didn't vote for him and admitted it repeatedly. And then running against Travis Allen in the primary, you know, uh, tried to get his buddies to get a tweet uh, of support from Donald Trump, uh, thinking that that was his path forward. And maybe it was out of a Republican primary. But, you know, the person who's most Republican in a Republican primary is often the worst candidate in a general election, uh, especially in California. Okay, what should we uh, be looking forward to in the next few weeks? I think you've touched on some of this, a, a big get out the vote effort, et cetera, but anything in particular, Mike? Well, depending on how granular you want to get, I mean, I think what people like Josh and I will be looking for is actually the ballot returns, the actual numbers to see when the Democratic base is going to show up. Is it going to show up early? Is it going to show up late? Is it going to show up at all? But watching the gap between the number of Republicans that turn in their ballot early and Democrats who turn in their ballot is going to tell us a lot about what's going to happen on Election Day. Uh, there's still going to be a lot uh, that will be turned in the day of at ballot uh, places, mm -hmm. and that will be overwhelmingly a Democratic vote. But watching the energy and the enthusiasm um, is going to be a day-to-day -day activity. You, know, you don't learn anything by watching one day. You have to watch the, the multi-day trend. But those ballots are going to start coming in you know, in the next couple of weeks. And as they do start to trickle in, it's going to tell us a heck of a lot about who's enthusiastic, who's not, and what the ultimate outcome of the race will probably look like. Okay, thanks, Mike. Josh? And it really is going to be fascinating to watch. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm really intrigued by is we saw, even in California, where Trump obviously was going to lose, we saw these dynamics, you know, and, and we traditionally again see republicans voting early voting by mail but because both the democratic party nationally was really pushing voters to vote by mail and vote by mail early so you saw a lot of that in the media uh and biden really ran you know a very different type of democratic campaign than normal where it really wasn't focused on boots on the ground and uh, getting voters out it was all about vote by mail and um you know mitigating covid and then on the flip side then republicans ran with it the opposite way and you know basically wanted to make a political statement against covid by showing up to vote and not voting by mail so with the most recent election you know that was the republican party and republican voter mo it'll be really interesting to see how many republicans vote early uh, how many vote late you know, even the ones that are super excited to skip on down to the polling place, you know, we may not have a good measure of that uh, because they very well may not want to vote by mail because of the sort of hangover of last time and feeling like, you know, oh, no, you know, we vote in person now or we go down to our polling place now. Um, so I'm really curious about your thoughts on that and the targeting that you saw. You know, I, I totally agree with Mike that we want to see how many Democratic votes are coming in early, uh, where they're coming from, areas like the Bay Area, which usually outperform Los Angeles. You know, we're going to want to see those types of trends. Uh, we could very well get together again in two to three weeks and looking at that data, you know, between Mike and, and myself and give me some analysis, analysis and say it's over. Um, but, you know, there very well could be, you know, potentially a late Republican surge where it'll be interesting to see that if Democrats feel in the first week or two, oh, it's over uh, because Republicans aren't voting like we thought they were going to, uh, but maybe you know, they actually will. They're just going to vote late and in person. I know that'll, that'll be one of the interesting dynamics that I'm looking forward uh, to assessing. And I'm really curious about your thoughts on 
you know, when do you think Republicans are going to vote? You know, more early, late. You know, I've spent I spent thirty years and many tens of millions of dollars trying to train Republicans to vote by absentee over two decades, and then Trump walks in and kind of tells them to do the exact opposite, and they followed Donald Trump. Um, I, I don't know. Don, don, followed what he said, but not what he did because followed, he voted by mail himself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just like he got a vaccine himself, but yeah. you know, tells everybody else not to do such things. <laughs> right. Um, the the point is, it's very fluid, right? Is these voters will right. move and they will follow kind of directions when given given directions to do that. Um, look, I think that Republicans will be voting early. I think that you're going to see a late Democratic surge um, because we normal. I'm a big believer that history is a pretty good guide. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. always right, but it's a pretty damn good, you know, road, gives us a pretty damn good roadmap of where things are going to be heading. And I think that Democrats tend to vote later. You look at the Latino vote specifically, too, where you're mm -hmm. seeing some squirreliness with some of the numbers there. Dollar to a donut, that Latino vote is going to come home the way that it has the past 30 year trend line. It will come in late. It will come in pretty significantly. I think that's going to be the trend line with most Democratic voters. And I think that you're going to see, um, a late push with Democrats. We'll see where all that money goes that Gavin Newsom's got bank rolled. And um, and I think that the math just gets more more complicated for the challengers. Finally, you also, uh, I think you both alluded to, and Mike, you in particular, that the party, the Republican Party, did not endorse a particular candidate. So there isn't sort of an endorsed candidate for the Republican Party. They're kind of, there are a number of Republican candidates running. Do you think Gavin Newsom will or should start identifying a, a candidate or will he go just keep it at this democrats come out or do you think he'll end up sort of focusing on a candidate or would he be afraid of giving that candidate traction what, what do, you, do you think that'll happen in the i think and again that's a really good question because we're all going to get the answer by just watching what the gavin newsom campaign does we can kind of strategize right now but i will guarantee you one thing the answer to that question will be poll tested with with tons of resources to figure out what the exact right recipe is going to be. So probably by the time that this is airing and your member realtors are listening to this, they'll be seeing ads with the with the answer to that question. My guess at this point in time is they will probably pick one person to start crystallizing in the minds of voters what the threat is. It will probably be the front runner and all likelihood will be Larry Elder because there's at least 20 years of opposition research files. There's a whole handful of Democrats right now, operatives, listening to every one of his talk radio shows that he's you know, uh, done over the past mm -hmm. 20 years to find uh, a whole whole range of issues where they can kind of open them up on. And that's what they're going to be doing. And my guess is that will probably be the more bilateral the conflict is, the more you know red and blue, the more direct the contrast, the better it's going to be for Gavin Newsom. So rather than running against sort of this abstract Republican boogeyman, they're going to try and pinpoint an actual person and run against that person. That's just my right. I, I agree. Who is a boogeyman? Uh, I mean, Larry Elder, I mean, so many of the things that he's put out uh, have been completely crazy that I think many of your average Republicans uh, will think is very extreme and not something that they necessarily agree with. And certainly independents and more conservative Democrats. I think we're already starting to see a little bit of this in social media. And I've seen, you know, a few tweets where, you know, if you don't vote no on the recall, then you're going to have Larry Elder uh, um, as governor. You know, I don't know if that's the sort of message of the week kind of thing or if we'll start to see that more in paid advertising. But I will say, you know, one of the campaign aspects that Gavin Newsom and his campaign uh, ran very successfully during the primary 
uh, during his primary was, you know, he basically ignored for the most part, uh, uh, for most of the primary, the other um, uh, Democratic candidates and and both Gavin and, and a significant IE went out and attacked Cox and basically said, you know, do you want this type of person, you know, and all of the sort of red meat that Democrats uh, were going to respond to, or Gavin Newsom, you know, and it kind of elevated him. Uh, he obviously had the benefit of being lieutenant governor, um, so it was a natural play. Um, but I think that looking at their playbook from the past and, you know, some of these early cues, uh, as Mike said, you know, it'll be something really for your members to watch uh, in the next week or two as we start to see that in any kind of TV advertising, digital advertising, radio, uh, that sort of thing, uh, where he, if he really hits the gas on that uh, or, or if they shift. But I, I have a feeling that, um, you know, as Mike said, I think that's a really good question and one I hadn't thought of too much, uh, but I do think that uh, they very likely will go this elder path. It seems like they're doing that, and it seems like it'll probably be a winner for him just because uh, Elder is so flawed. Uh, and even the one ad that I've seen so far where Elder is up on TV, uh, you can't even really understand what he's saying, and it's it kind of nonsensical, and it's certainly not something that's going to uh, get a lot of non-conservatives uh, excited about. Okay. Thanks, Josh. Mike, any final thoughts on... No, I think just the main thing to think about is, you know, staying involved, active, engaged in this as much as you can. It's a right. tough job that we put California voters through to constantly have things before them on the ballot, but it is incredibly important. The impact of this election is going to have a lot to do with the profession and the industry the, that realtors deal with day in and day out. Housing is obviously probably the number one issue. Right. Uh, it's going to continue to be regardless of who the governor is going to be. So, um, as tough as it's going to be over the next couple of weeks, you know, watching sort of the ads come out, the mail coming out and and the candidates sparring, it's very important. So just make sure that you're engaged and and stay tuned and, and uh, make sure you vote. Josh, absolutely. I think voting is going to be extremely important. Uh, obviously, uh, I think it's going to be best for the state, uh, even realtors who may uh, support have supported Donald Trump or maybe Republican. Uh, I think that at the end of the day, we want stability in California. We want uh, you know, business people, uh, you know, want to be able to bank on California uh, ha having a stable economy and and sort of predictable outcomes in terms of how local governments are going to run and things like this. Uh, and I think that Gavin Newsom uh, is a real partner potentially uh, for the realtors and for addressing these issues of housing and trying to get more affordability op and opportunities of home ownership. Uh, and I think that you know, that's a much better path forward uh, than somebody who is probably just going to create chaos for a year and then be kicked out of office. And I think chaos is not good for uh, the real estate market. I don't think it's good for, you know, neighborhoods. Uh, you know, I think that it, it's good for everyone when we have good schools and safe neighborhoods. Uh, people can have a good job and afford a safe place to live. And I just feel like, you know, if the recall happens, that's just going to create complete chaos and turmoil and undermine all of those things that uh, really benefit all of us. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate the uh, insights. We will be, uh, I think I will catch up with both of you to talk about early returns sure. <laughs> when, when we have a chance to, yeah, absolutely. to get a sense of uh, what's going on. Um, thank you for everybody listening to our first podcast. And please, everybody listening, remember to fill out your ballot and vote by September 14th. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.
Disclaimer. The purpose of this podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors, CAR, is to provide general and educational information and opinions from a wide range of perspectives regarding politics, voting, elections, legislative issues, and more. The opinions, beliefs, and views expressed by guests or participants of this podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, or views of CAR, its affiliates, their respective directors, officers, or employees. Reference to any individual or entity does not constitute an endorsement, recommendation, or any other position or opinion regarding that entity or individual by CAR. This podcast does not constitute professional advice or services of any kind. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.